0: Hello, and welcome to Books Are My People. My name is Jennifer Caloyaris, and this is episode seven. I wanted to give a little shout out to those of you listening. I see you, one listener in Ohio, and I see you, one listener in Cairo, and I also see you, sole listener in Idaho, Um, and I would love it if you would reach out to me and uh, just say Hi. Uh, You can email me at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. Maybe you have a book recommendation question for me, or maybe you want to tell me about a great book that you've read, or maybe you just want to say hello and I will say hello back. So, I have some big writing news to share with you today. After over three and a half years, I have finally finished the novel that I've been working on. This is my fourth book and it is a novel written for an adult audience, which I haven't done before. I wrote a short fiction collection for an adult audience, but this is my first novel-length work. So I'm really happy that it's done. I've been working on it for what feels like forever, so long in fact that in between starting this novel and finishing, I published my short fiction collection. So, I'm not quite ready to talk about what it's about, but I will be happy to walk you through the publishing process as I am going through it for those of you who are listening and wondering, how does a book get published, and how long does it take? I think that will probably be the most surprising part um, for everyone to learn about that it is super molasses slow. So, I finished the novel, I've edited it, and I am ready to send it out to agents, so that is where I'm at, and if and when I make some headway there, I will let you know. And now I need to offer up my first, but certainly not last, Mia culpa on the show. During episode six, I talked about the Isaac Mizrahi memoir, and I said it was called I. Well, turns out. It's not called I. It's actually called I Am for Isaac Mizrahi, and also I assume a play on the words I am. But um, I think the reason why I made that flub is because if you look at the cover of the book, it's just a big letter I, and as I was reading it, I just kept staring at that cover every time I went to pick it up, and it was just emblazoned in my mind as the word I. So the title of that book, if you have been trying to find it and can't figure out why it's not showing up, is I Am. And it wouldn't be a podcast without a little bit of chicken news. For those of you just tuning in, I have eight chickens in my yard in the middle of Los Angeles. Um, So two new developments. The first is that one of our chickens named Ob who's a big gray chicken that we hatched, so I don't know yet if it's a boy or a girl. It has not been crowing, so I'm hopeful that it's a girl, but it has turned out to be really mean to my dog. I let my dog in with me. She's so great with them. She doesn't do anything bad to them except eat their poop, which is disgusting. But this one chicken just has it out for her, and my poor dog walks into the coop, and this chicken is just ready to eat her face. So if anyone has some good advice on how to tame a wild chicken, please let me know. Um, And then the second little bit of news is that yesterday we were playing family wiffle ball and all of a sudden all of the chickens started making crazy noises that I had never heard before. And a big, I think it was a red-tailed hawk, um, did a little flyover and they got so scared. And so, you know, I, I keep them in at night. We do have raccoons and possums and cats and coyotes here and if anyone has any advice on how to keep the hawks away someone on the internet said that I should put like one of those plastic owls on top of the coop Um, but hopefully the hawk does not get any of my chickens and if it does go for the gray one that's mean to my dog. The Booker Prize shortlist has been published, and I was sad to see that I have not read a lot of the books on the list. Margaret Atwood's The Testaments made it there. One of my favorite books of the year, of last year, My Sister the Serial Killer, did not make the shortlist, it made the longlist. And I'm staring at the list now and trying to see what I've read. I did read Lost Children Archive by Valeria Luiselli. Um but again, that did not make the short list that made the long list, and the other one that I'm really excited to read that did make the short list is Chigozie Ibioma's an Orchestra of Minorities. I've heard fantastic things about that book, and if I were to pick one from the Booker Prize shortlist to read, it would be that one. Margaret Atwood's The Testaments came out last week, and that is the sequel to the Handmaid's Tale. There was a little bit of an Amazon kerfuffle there because Amazon accidentally sent out, I think, about 800 copies before the release date um, to a ton of customers who were delighted to get the book ahead of time. Uh, Someone said that they felt like they won the lottery, and it delighted customers everywhere. But I think the problem is that if a bookstore were to have made this flub, they would have been... Penalized uh, financially for that, but of course, Amazon, being Amazon, will not have to pay a penalty. They were trying to keep a pretty tight embargo on the book. Actually, they didn't send out any review copies of the testaments to anyone, um, not even to like the big wig professional reviewers who write for newspapers, got zero advance review copies. Um, they were afraid that. It would be leaked, which is what happened during one of the Harry Potter releases. It was for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, and someone got a hold of an advanced review copy and posted, took a photo, and posted every single page of the book. And if you remember, that book was a pretty fat tome. And now, on to the books. <laughs> So for my first pick this week, I am going to select Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keane. This is a literary novel, and... I guess you would describe it as a sweeping narrative. I was trying to figure out how many generations you need to cover for it to be considered sweeping. This is two generations, but maybe that's enough for a sweep. Um, It's about neighboring families in a New York suburb. So the two main characters are Francis Gleason and Brian Stanhope, and they meet as unmarried rookies in the New York City Police Academy, and a tight friendship is formed. Um, so then you sort of fast forward in time and they're both married and they decide to live next door to one another and you see, get to know their wives and they start having kids. So Francis has three girls and Brian has a boy. And as time goes on, Brian's son and one of Francis's daughters grow up together and grow very close to one another. They form this lovely friendship that starts at an early age Brian's wife, Anne, suffers from mental illness that emerges as the story continues, and her mental health issues reach a climax that affects these two families. I will not spoil it for you, but it particularly affects the relationship between uh, Frances's daughter and Brian's son. So this is a novel about family, about family estrangement, about Uh, mental health and sort of the ripple effect that can have on families. And I think if you enjoyed Little Fires Everywhere, maybe you want to pick up this book. It seemed similar in tone. And I didn't know this till I looked up something about Mary Beth Keene, but she is the author of a book called Fever, which was published in 2013. And that is historical fiction about typhoid Mary and I don't know how I missed this title because that is so up my alley that I have added that to my to-read list and ordered it from the library, so I will let you know how that goes. Again, that was Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. My next pick is called The Memory Police by Yoko Agawa. It came out in August, and Yoko Agawa is a renowned Japanese author who has published a ton of other books and short fiction collections. And this is the first book of hers that I have ever read. Uh, the novel starts out like a dark fairy tale with a nameless mother telling the story to a nameless daughter, and the novel takes place on a nameless island. So residents of this island wake up one day and all knowledge of specific objects has vanished. So they wake up and suddenly things like stamps are gone from their lives. There's no memory of stamps. There are no actual physical stamps. It's just like they've been erased from the world. Um, Other objects that disappear are birds and roses and perfume and things as random as green beans. They're just gone. And there is a governmental group called the Memory Police who are there to regulate this process. So it's their job to round up all of these objects if there are any left over. And they also round up anyone who tries to keep the memory of a specific object alive. So there's a very surreal dreamlike quality to this novel because the reader, along with the characters, is having to readjust to the ever-changing world that presents itself. The protagonist of this novel is a writer herself, and she's working on a novel. Her editor is targeted by the memory police, and she ends up hiding her editor under the floorboards of her home office. That part of the story reminded me a lot of The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, There are a lot of overlaps with explorations of what it means to live in a cruel world. If you are someone who likes all of the painstaking detail that goes into science fiction, like the real aspects of a science fiction novel, this is not that book, even though it, it sort of does toe the line of science fiction. This is more poetic than scientific. It's a book about resisting authority. It's a book about totalitarianism. And it has a novel within a novel aspect because, uh, as I said, the protagonist is a writer herself working on her novel, and we get glimpses into that novel, which she has to keep adjusting when things are taken away from the world. She has to go back and edit her book and erase those things. And Yoko Agawa, like I said, is the author of many novels and short fiction collections, but the one that I have added to my to-read list is a short fiction collection of hers called The Diving Pool that sounds just fantastic. So again, that was The Memory Police by Yoko Agawa. So for my next pick, which is a young adult novel, I just wanted to preface it by saying that I've talked before about how I teach writing the young adult novel at UCLA Extension's writer's program. And this next book, I liked it so much that I immediately went to my fall syllabus and yanked off a book I had been teaching for many years and replaced it with this one. So I'm very excited to talk about this today. This book is called Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert, and it was published in 2017 And it is about 16-year-old Suzette, who has been sent to boarding school when her bookworm older brother, Lionel, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And it takes a little while to get all this information from the first couple chapters. So the book starts with Suzette landing at the airport in Los Angeles where her family lives because she's home for the summer and her brother Lionel, whom she calls Lion, is picking her up. They're a blended family. Her mom is black and she married Lionel's dad, who's white, but Little and Lion have really considered themselves brother and sister since their parents got married. Lionel is going through a lot and he has decided to go off of his bipolar medication. And he tells his sister this and makes her promise not to tell anyone. And she feels very conflicted because she wants to uphold the sanctity of their relationship, but she also feels beholden to keep her brother safe and wants to tell her parents that he's gone off this medication. So she's sort of in a little bit of a pickle there. And then to complicate things even more, both she and her brother are falling in love with a young woman named Rafaela. The narrative goes back and forth in time and we're taken back to last semester at Suzette's boarding school where a very homophobic incident has occurred involving Suzette's roommate. This book explores issues of sexuality and identity and mental illness. It's also a great portrayal of Los Angeles as a setting, and because I live here and it's my hometown, it was fun to see it depicted in such a realistic and accurate way. Brandy Colbert just released another young adult novel this past August, and that one is called The Revolution of Bertie Randolph. And again, that was Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert. My next pick is a second literary title for the week. Yay, you get two literaries this week. And this is called Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. This came out on September 17th. And I was lucky enough to receive an advanced review copy for this. Jacqueline Woodson... Has written a ton of novels and young adult novels alike. I think her most popular are Brown Girl Dreaming and Another Brooklyn. And coincidentally, my oldest son, who's in eighth grade, um, was required to read her young adult novel Harbor Me this summer, and he really enjoyed that. This book is challenging to talk about because it's not written in a linear fashion. There's a lot of back and forth, but The nexus of it is that it explores how an unplanned pregnancy brings these two families together. So the novel starts with the celebration of a 16-year-old named Melody in 2001, and the story shifts back in time to explore each generation. So we learn that Melody's mother, Iris, got pregnant with Melody when she was really young, And Melody's dad's name is Aubrey. So they have Melody, but Iris ends up abandoning her, leaving her with her father, Aubrey, in order to attend Oberlin College. And it was something that she really wanted to do, and she leaves Melody with her father. At college, she explores her attraction to a woman there, and her life kind of bifurcates at that point. Um, and her desire for this woman gives this book its title, and I'm going to read just a little quote here. She felt red at the bone, like there was something inside of her undone and bleeding. We also get Aubrey, who's Melody's father, we get his point of view, and then we go back yet another generation to Iris's parents and to Aubrey's mother. This is a super slim novel. It's under 200 pages. It's a very fast read, except for the fact that the sentences are so gorgeous, you just want to read it slowly and take it all in like reading poetry. It's filled with a ton of musical references, and I was trying to find a way to describe this book in terms of music because it is so poetic. So I've decided on the following, that I felt like reading this book was like reading the blues. And again, that is Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. And I'm going to predict that this will be on all the awards lists this year. And my last pick this week is a nonfiction pick. And I know I'm a little late to the party, but I am going to be talking about Becoming by Michelle Obama. I chose to listen to the audiobook version of this book, mostly because I just wanted to hear Michelle Obama's voice in my car every time I drove. It made the traffic easier, it made my commute easier, and it just relaxed me to hear her voice and made me happy. So she writes about how she was a rambunctious and stubborn child growing up in a working class family on Chicago's South Side. And that was a huge part of her identity. She talks about being faced with racism growing up. And she talks about her time at Princeton and Harvard Law School and her careers in both law and the nonprofit sector. And of course, she takes us to that moment where she met her future husband, President Barack Obama. And I loved reading about their first date. I think that was my favorite part in the book. It happens pretty early on, but so this is not a spoiler, but they went to see a performance of Les Mis, the musical, and at intermission, they both turned to one another and confessed that neither of them liked it. And they decided to walk out at intermission. And this just tickled me. So she talks about the performative nature of her job and how she wasn't really prepared for that aspect. She talks about the misogyny and sexism that she's encountered along the way and how she went from a very private life to a very public life. We get to see the presidential campaign as seen through Michelle Obama's lens, and how she balanced raising her daughters to remain strong and grounded throughout this crazy political circus. The whole experience of listening to this book felt like being reunited with an old friend, even though this friend doesn't know that I exist. It was so comforting to hear her voice, and I just miss having her in my life. And again, that was Becoming by Michelle Obama. And that is it for this week. I am currently reading Stephen King's new novel, The Institute. You can get links to all of the titles I have talked about in the show notes section of the podcast, or on my website, booksaremypeople.com. You can learn about my upcoming courses and workshops that I'm teaching this fall also at booksaremypeople.com or in the show notes. And that is it. I hope you have a wonderfully bookish week.